0: Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets, sports, and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. It's been some time since I did the last podcast episode, basically breaking down the Jets draft class, kind of a a very slight preview looking into the offseason and training camp and whatnot, but I took a hiatus, I did a lot of stuff in my personal life, took a little bit of a break from the Jets, super busy taking vacation, I had my bachelor party, my softball team made the playoffs, shout out to five churches brewing, we got bounced in the first round so that kind of sucked, but at least we made the playoffs this year, very cool, and then there's been a lot of preparation for the big day. The wedding day is fast approaching. It's coming up on Bengals weekend, the Saturday before the Bengals game, or as fiance Shannon likes to call it, September 24th. So got to do all that stuff, forgot about football as much as possible, spend time on me, just kind of vibed out, but like a moth to the flame, training camp buzz has me back in 100%. I am in it, daily updates, video, team content, what could be better? This is the time of year when everything is super exciting, There's been no real bad news for the Jets in the offseason program so far. Lots to go still, but there's a lot to get to in this one. I'm going to kind of do a breakdown of the training camp battles that we see on offense and defense, the ones that I think are most interesting, even though the players are perhaps not the most flashy names. A bunch of them probably won't even end up making the final 53-man roster. These are the guys that when you're looking at the preseason games and there's not a lot of starters playing and you're watching in the second, third, fourth quarter, or as you're following along through training camp and you're hearing about some names you haven't really heard, just some guys to watch, some roster guys backup positions, and maybe even some starters in there. I also want to talk about kind of the off-season schedule, a couple of news and notes pieces around the Jets organization, and that's about it. I'm going to try to take it kind of easy. I'm not going to go too crazy on uh, length of this episode, just getting back into the mix again. I'm a little rusty for sure, but should be a good one. Before I begin, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It can be found under the Gang Green Nation podcast title, and the series title is This Is the Jet Life. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. All right, so to start, let's just go over the off-season schedule the Jets are doing right now. They are back in Florham Park, New Jersey until the regular season begins. Um, They're going to have a little bit of a break between the preseason and regular season, but essentially, the rookies, all of them reported on July 19th. A week later, the veterans, they arrive on the 26th, and that was the official start of the Jets training camp. So we're like a little more than a week in right now. On Monday was the first padded practice. So the first few that they did were just kind of running through in shorts. They were in helmets, and they got these big, for the Jets specifically, they're, they're black pads that go on the outside exterior of the helmet. For the offensive linemen, the trench guys, uh, basically anybody that lines up in line. So the tight ends as well. I think the running backs have it on. But uh, it basically it's just to prevent – concussions and things in preseason or in training camps, right? So when you're doing practice, there's no reason to just have extra one-on-one contact, just blasting into a dude, offensive lineman into defensive lineman, blocking over and over, hitting the sled and all that stuff. Just try to limit concussions. It's a good thing the NFL is doing, trying to be a little bit safer, and hopefully the Jets can come out of training camp a little bit healthier than they were last year. But they start slow, just kind of installing the basics of the offense, getting players used to their positions, used to their teammates, used to the style of practice and whatnot. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, today when I'm recording, they were all padded practices, so the players were actually able to hit, get hit a little bit, and uh, it's been a lot of fun seeing the, the news in the training camp. The Jets' green and white scrimmage is probably the apex of the training camp schedule until the preseason games begin. That is like the one time when they play. It's an open practice to fans. It's going to be on Friday night, or Saturday night rather, um, the 6th, coming up this weekend. and It's going to be basically two teams the jets the white team versus the green team there's going to be a lot of starters playing against each other and they're going to have very simulated play so they're going to actually have like quarters and snaps and whatnot then the other team's going to come in and just going to see who kind of shines but it's a lot more situational rather than just saying like we're going to do six plays or seven plays or we're just going to run fourth and fives over and over and try to get those plays down it's way more situational as you move the ball downfield it's a pretty cool thing that's the green and white scrimmage coming up this saturday and then it goes right into uh More practices, and then the Eagles preseason game. The very first one on August 12th, followed by the Falcons on August 22nd. The Jets will be doing joint practices with the Falcons team on the 19th and 20th before the Falcons game on the 22nd. Then it ends with the Giants on the 28th. They'll be doing some joint practices, I've heard, with the Giants as well. Don't have exact dates for that yet. But a couple days with them, then their final matchup of the preseason. As the preseason is only three games long now, From there, they'll take a little bit of a break after the 28th, and the Jets will have their very first regular season game on September 11th in New York versus the Ravens, who right now are a little bit banged up. they got some guys, Ronnie Stanley, a couple of their running backs, Marcus Peters, some guys that may not potentially be ready for week one. And, well, if you look at the Ravens' depth chart, in my opinion, it's one of the best in the league. They've got depth. Their draft this year, they were just drafting depth, good players that would probably be starting on most teams, drafted for depth there. But it is a lot of young guys. And some of those injuries are to some of their very best players. Week one, a lot of teams try new things, new installs, not as much film out on what the team's going to do. You never know. We can follow them. I think it's also interesting, being that the Jets play the very first quarter of the season against all AFC North opponents, Ravens, Bengals, Steelers, and Browns, you actually can just follow those teams right now through training camps because any injury that's going to linger into the beginning of the regular season will probably affect the Jets when they play those teams. So you don't have to, like... Keep track of do we care about this guy as he's out for 6 to 8 weeks or 10 to 12 weeks as we hear stuff in training camps. If it's one of those teams, there's a good chance it could have an impact on one of the Jets' matchups early in the season. So that is the main kind of schedule for the Jets. It's just going to be training, staying healthy, getting better, honing their crafts, getting chemistry, and then prepping for those preseason games, shooting on the regular season, and hopefully winning more than uh, more than they have the last few years. That's for sure. Some news and notes around the team right now. This week, the Jets signed Quan Alexander to a one-year deal. This is a guy that was formerly really good for the Bucs. Went to the 49 ers with Robert Sala and spent the last couple years playing with the Saints defense. He's a linebacker that is a little bit aggressive. Makes some uh, mistakes at times, some missed tackles here and there, but he's small, skinny, fast, to the point of attack, which is totally a Robert Sala style. Get to that kill zone. Be quick. He's pretty good in coverage. He's Able to get interceptions, drop back into zone, all the stuff that Robert Sala really wants to see from his linebackers. And that was the position that was super, super thin for the Jets. I mean, you got CJ Mosley there, but then behind them, him, as much as you like, like Quincy Williams, a very raw guy who doesn't necessarily play. You know, he likes to just attack. He said one of the things he wants to work on is he needs to read the defense better rather than just like going full speed, because sometimes when you do that, you make a mistake, you miss something, you need to drop back, you need to see more. So as he gets more comfortable and acclimated, we got Quan Alexander to kind of help steady it out and then implement some of that defense in Robert Salah's style with him to help coach him along. But when you weren't using those two, Quincy Williams and CJ were the original two best linebackers we had. It was Jamie and Sherwood, who played a little bit last year, wasn't very good when he did. Hamza Dean, same thing. I mean, these guys are hoping to get better this year, but you never know. You got Marcel Harris, you got... Delshawn Phillips, we're going to talk about that position group specifically, but when you add Quan Alexander, a veteran who knows the defense, who's been playing very well for the last couple of years, not as well as he did early in his career, but still playing you know, high-level, starter-level football and only 28 years old, it's a good signing for the Jets at like $1.2 million, I think it was, for a one-year deal. Absolutely, we'll take that. We also have some news on Mekhi Becton, who came into training camp looking good. Everybody was all pissed off in the mini camps and the OTAs early on that he was out of shape and looked fat, and there was all this negative stuff around the Jets because people have to find something to complain about. So it was, oh, Makai Beckton, he's fat, that means he's lazy, that means he's a bust, he's probably never going to be healthy, yada, yada. Lo and behold, he shows up to training camp looking great, playing a little bit out of breath, as a 360-whatever-pound man would be, running in the heat um, after not having played for like a year and a half. But absolutely, he is back out on the field, and he's been moved to right tackle where... He probably will be able to be the best version of himself, in my opinion. He played both left and right tackle in college. Left tackle typically is a slightly more difficult position. Right tackle, obviously because it's not the blind side, is the one that gets paid a little bit less and maybe has a a, a slight easier job just because at least the quarterback can see it if you miss your block. George Fant played so well at left tackle last year after not playing great at right tackle the year before for the Jets that it just makes so much more sense to with George Bant playing well there, and Makai shifting back in and trying to find his way. They got Elijah Barrett-Tucker moving to the right side because you got Lakin Tomlinson, who's a true left guard. AVT's fine with that. He can play right guard, no problem. He can play tackle if he had to. So you move him to the right, you move Makai, the guy that he was partnered with in his rookie year early on and through some of training camps, keep them together. Connor McGovern holding it down in the middle. It's one of the best lines we've had in a long time, and it makes a ton of sense. Now, moving forward, Everyone's saying, like, you know, is he ever going to move back to left tackle? We draft the guy for a left tackle, and if he's already getting shifted to right tackle, which is seemingly a less important position, doesn't that mean he's already kind of failing? Absolutely not, in my opinion. The same way the Jets gave up picks to go up early in the rounds to get Elijah Tucker a guard, which typically wouldn't be done, right, because he's that good. And if you have a really good player playing any position on your team, and you know for sure he's an absolute stud where he is, it doesn't really matter what position it is. You want the best right tackle you can get, you need a good kicker, you need a good linebacker, you need a good cornerback. And if he checks one of those boxes playing great right tackle, and George Fant checks another box playing good left tackle, how could that be a lose? Even if George Fant moves on and we have to replace left tackle, either way you're going to have to replace one of the tackles, and all we really need is boxes checked on this team, something we haven't had for a long time. So totally cool with that switch. Since last podcast episode, all of the rookies signed their contract. The team is overall pretty healthy right now. We actually had a couple injuries coming in, um, like Carl Lawson and CJ Uzoma, Makai Beckton, George Fant. All those guys have been cleared to play. Jeremy Ruckert today, Tevin Coleman was cleared to play. So technically right now the Jets are 100% fully healthy at this point in time. I don't believe there's anybody who's unable to participate in any drills or practices. So that is a really, really good thing right now. The Jets have more depth than they've had in a long time when we go through some of these training camp battles. This is better than what we did this last year. Absolutely 100%. Way better than it was. And they're super healthy. Way healthier than they were at this point last season. Knock on wood, we got a long way to go. Uh, We still have like another month and 10 days before the first regular season game. A lot can happen. And even there, injuries can happen through the regular season that can totally throw you off course and ruin everything, basically. But for now, every single day that goes by that we don't have an injury... Is an absolutely wonderful thing, and the Jets are doing that at this point in time. Some more brief news that kind of impacts the Jets. The whole Deshaun Watson thing that's been a super annoying narrative. Glad he's not on our team. He ended up getting a, uh, you know, Judge Sewell Robinson, a neutral arbitrator between the NFL and the NFLPA, was put on the spot to, uh, you know, go through all the information and come down with a hearing. She decides six games for Deshaun Watson. The NFL says, you know what, we don't like that. At the end of the day, the way that the CBA has negotiated the contract for these decisions, Judge Sewell Robinson was brought in and they agreed upon hearing her recommendation. But in the rules and in the agreement, Roger Goodell then gets to decide whether or not he wants to go with the recommendation or if he wants to go with his own recommendation. And then he can do another study or, you know, uh, survey the whole thing and he can choose whether he wants to be the judge or he wants to hire somebody else. That's his choosing to be the judge for it. And then, of course, the NFLPA will argue against that and try to leave that thing going and say, what are you doing? Judge Sewell Robinson said this. And it's going to be a whole thing back and forth. But essentially, had it been a six-game suspension, as Judge Sewell Robinson said and recommended, then Deshaun Watson would absolutely not be playing week two against the Jets. It would probably be Jacoby Brissett, a slightly easier game. Now that this whole thing is going back up for an appeal from the NFL and potentially will end up at the uh, federal courts to be seen and heard and everything, If the process takes a long time and Deshaun Watson is not suspended at that point in time, it is technically possible that he could be playing week two, I believe. So we're going to have to wait and see whether or not uh, anything get cleared before then. But as we've seen before, sometimes these guys do something bad, even if it's on video. Um, Maybe everybody knows that it was a bad thing. It can still take like a year or two for a guy to actually get suspended for something that happened way long ago. And that's just kind of the way the NFL works. But obviously Deshaun Watson has not been criminally charged with anything. He's not been federally charged, not been arrested or anything like that for what's happened. So it's really not automatic for the league. It's not like black and white. It's now, okay, if you're not going to do anything, let's see what the NFL is going to do. And now they got to go through their whole process. And Now just going to start handing out suspensions before they get to the bottom of it. So we'll see what happens. But ideally we would want to play Jacoby Brissett for the opportunity to win the game. But I do think it would be a lot of fun beating up on Deshaun Watson. And I think if this Jets team is exciting – and healthy as I think it can be, I think they absolutely could beat that Browns team, and that would be just a really nice a really nice little, uh, little kiss to start the season. So that is what I got for news and notes surrounding the New York Jets so far. Now, I would normally do a father time here, but this podcast kind of came on last minute. I did not prepare much for it. I had a lot of energy today, and uh, like I said, I've been super busy with – tasks and and wedding plans and all these things and vacations and bachelor parties, yada yada. It's just been like go, go, go for the last three months, which has been good. Don't get me wrong, but I wasn't sure when I was going to be actually making one of these episodes. I was hoping it was going to be yesterday the day before. didn't work out, but today I was like, you know what? This day works out perfect, so I told my dad at like 3 p.m., which is like three hours ago, he's like, I absolutely cannot find the time to get one done today, so unfortunately, We'll be moving on without a father time. Just imagine some really nice inspirational words about my dad, Joe Douglas, Zach Wilson, and Robert Sala. Now the whole defense is coming together. Go Jets. End scene. Would have been great, but we will get him for next time as we get back into a little more regular rhythm. Right now we're just kind of in that offseason update mode. But when the games start being played, it's going to be a lot more routine, and we'll know what we're doing there. So let's get into the training camp battles, the ones that are the most Interesting. I mean, we'll go through position by position, but starting with the quarterback, when you look at, you got three, four guys that are potentially fighting for quarterback spots on the team right now. If Zach Wilson is quarterback number one. We know that. Behind him is the real battle. That's Joe Flacco versus Mike White. And the battle is one who's going to be the primary backup if Zach Wilson goes down or gets injured, or I guess struggles really badly. And both players, Mike White and Joe Flacco, played some last year. Both found some success last year when they were playing. I think I would lean Joe Flacco because he's been looking really good in camp right now. He's been a veteran. He can come in and do spot starts. But with a guy like Mike White, you never know. He did show some promise last year, even though he didn't get the ball downfield a ton. He didn't make good decisions. He's going to be sticking around. It's worth noting that the Jets carried two quarterbacks last year to start at the initial 53-man cuts. So if the Jets decided to go with two, potentially it would be Joe Flacco, Zach Wilson, and they could move um, Mike White to the practice squad, potentially try to... Uh, secure him there, make sure nobody steals him, but we'll see. Maybe they want to carry three if they want to have all guys there ready. But That's a pretty decent room compared to where it was this time last year when it was like a James Morgan and a Mike White and we hadn't seen Mike White play yet. We also have a guy named Chris Straveller who's going to be the fourth string quarterback for the Jets. Basically just a training camp body. We need other guys to throw footballs, right? Every single day you need Guys throwing to the wide receivers, you need guys throwing to the tight ends. There's tons of them on the roster, and you can't have Zach Wilson just throwing the ball 7,000 times just because each tight end needs to get the ball. Same with Mike White and Joe Flacco. You bring another guy in, and we're probably going to see a decent amount of him in the preseason, specifically in the first game. I bet we see some Mike White you know, early in the second half, but come fourth quarter, it's probably going to be Chris traveler They're probably going to try to lean on him because you don't want to risk injuring anybody when you're playing with backup offensive line, backup offensive weapons and whatnot. Just put another guy in there to be the, in a sense, sacrificial lamb. Get him to training camp early. Get him some practice so that when you are out there, you at least can see your offense operate somewhat successfully, hopefully. And then, you know, it's a showcase for him to try to be back on a preseason roster next year, a training camp roster, potentially for the XFL or for another team, or if somebody goes down there's a lot of injuries in the league, potentially a practice squad spot. Don't expect him to make the roster, but expect to see him a decent amount this preseason and probably going to be, you know, the least exciting quarterback that we got. When you look at the running backs, last year the Jets carried four, and this year there's an obvious one-two. It's Brees Hall, it's Michael Carter. Michael Carter was awesome last year. Brees Hall I expect to be even better, but a one-two punch right there, probably leaning a little bit more in the favor of Brees Hall just because he was so dominant and I have such high expectations for him. But then you got to talk about who would be behind that. You know they're going to carry more than just the two, and you've got guys like Tevin Coleman who could be coming back, a veteran who's played in the system and the Jets like him. Michael Pirine? who's never really played well for the Jets, but he had promise in college. He was good at the Florida Gators. He was uh, able to block, catch balls out of the backfield, do a little bit of everything. I think the team likes him. They always say he works really hard. It's possible that if he has a good preseason and a good training camp, he could be one of the guys in the fringe of the back end of the roster, maybe move out of the practice squad. Then you got a guy like Ty Johnson who's interesting because he was decent last year, and he was decent for the Jets the year before, but that's like the exact type of guy that you want to be better than. Right, like On a bad team, Ty Johnson's a decent Jet, but if the Jets are truly taking steps in the right direction, you would hope to weed out guys like Ty Johnson, not because you don't like him, but just because you want to have so many good players that a pretty decent guy like him isn't good enough, even at a third, fourth running back spot. They've got another guy, Zonovan Knight, who also goes by Bam Knight. He's an undrafted rookie that's in the uh, group this year who actually could be potentially a little feisty, a little interesting. A lot of guys like him, too. He was Kind of a surprise to go undrafted and not really a position that you would expect the Jets to go after because they had five guys there already. They could have potentially brought back a guy like Austin Walter, too, if they wanted to do that. But as we can see, this room is absolutely better than it was at this time last year. Brace Hall, Michael Carter, then maybe, say, Tevin Coleman, and pick one of the other guys. Or maybe one of these guys gets injured in preseason or training camp and the problem works itself out. we got a decent group of guys there. That backup running back spot, if they do decide to carry four, is one to watch. You've also got the possibility of a fullback being on the roster. And at the 53 man cuts last year, there was no fullback on the roster. This would be Nick Bauden this year. They were kind of transitioning Trevon Wesco into that fullback role. Didn't really work out. Nothing that he's done has really worked out so far with the Jets as they've tried to use him in different packages and different styles. So Trevon Wesco may be on the outside looking in. But Nick Bauden, if they do want to go with a fullback, as the 49ers in San Francisco do a lot, they have Kyle Ustcheck when uh, Kyle Shanahan was with. Texans, they had Vontae Leach, they've always had good tight ends in these systems. It's very possible that Nick Bauden makes the roster. And then if that's the case, do you consider him a running back or a tight end and take a guy out of one of those two rooms? Do you consider him his own position and take out a guy from another position group? Big decisions are going to have to be made. Looking at the wide receiver, this one's pretty interesting because we know that we've got a few guys, four guys really, that are guaranteed roster guys. That's going to be Corey Davis, Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, Braxton Berrios makes sense and very happy with that. Again, better than it was this time last year. We lost Jamison Crowder, but we add in a Garrett Wilson. Another year, healthier, Elijah Moore. Braxton Barrios keeps getting better. And then on the back end, you've got some guys that are interesting. Last year, they carried seven wide receivers. I think that's a position that this year, if they want to carry somebody else in a different group, maybe you don't carry seven wide receivers. I could see them going six or even five, depending on how their special teams' attributes play in. You got guys like Denzel Mims, who has flashed in preseason or in training camps here and has gotten a lot of buzz from the New York Jets beat, but also still seems like a guy that the New York Jets organization overall just doesn't like. I don't know why. I can't put my finger on it. He makes spotlight plays, highlight plays in tra- in training camps, in practices. He made him in the field his rookie season. He made him on the field last year. He just doesn't get a lot of opportunities. The ball doesn't seem to get thrown to him a lot. And if I'm guessing it's something to do with a work ethic or complaining a lot or being lazy or not blocking or taking plays off something along those lines i can't put my finger on it but perhaps it's going to be uh the end of the line for denzel mims if he can't show that he's ready to play at a consistent level and potentially even play special teams cuz when you're talking about like gunners you're talking about people in kickoff coverage you potentially need and backup Punt returners as well behind Braxton Barrios. You need some guys that are in that wide receiver group, that tight end group, cornerback group, that are going to be playing serviceable minutes there. It's very important to Brant Boyer that we have good quality special teamers. So some decisions will be made with that in mind, not necessarily taking the best six receiving wide receivers. It's going to be maybe the best four or five receiving wide receivers, and then one or two guys that can do some special team stuff or some you know special package stuff. So watch out for that. Denzel Mims, if he can get involved in special teams and start playing really well there, it be a much, much easier battle for him to make this roster this year and move him forward. But if you can't, then look at guys like Jeff Smith, who's having a really nice training camp again. He played for the Jets last year. He was on the team in training camps the year before. He's one of those guys that he's never been flashy, but he has been effective and efficient. He's, like, just good enough to be in the NFL, but not much more thus far. So he's definitely one of those guys we could see the Jets carrying. DJ Montgomery is no longer here. But there are still some other guys like Tariq Black that played and even had a catch last year for the Jets. we got a guy, Keyshawn Abram, Calvin Jackson, Rashard Davis. These are some one-year and rookie players that probably will not make the roster, but they'll play in uh, preseason. And then one guy whose name I didn't know going in but has been standing out in training camps thus far we have to pay attention to is Irvin Charles, a wide receiver that potentially, if he keeps playing well and then impresses in preseason, he's one of those guys that if you're not seeing much from Denzel – you're not seeing much from uh, Jeff Smith recently, and you feel like Irvin Charles is younger, cheaper, playing really, really well, blocks well, gets the system and everything, and gives you a little bit on that offense, maybe even play some special teams. He absolutely could be a guy that ends up making the roster if he keeps playing well. So watch the name Irvin Charles in preseason and training camps. Moving over to the tight end group, we know we've got three guys automatically locked in. C.J. Uzama, Tyler Conklin, and Jeremy Rucker. No matter how you slice it, all three of those guys are making the team. The first two got big contracts. Third one, mid-round draft pick. Jeremy Rucker should be very good, but last year they carried two, so you're already at three here. Then you think about would you be bringing Wesco back, Kenny Yaboa, or Lawrence Cager, and go to four tight ends? In that situation, they'd really have to be a, a special teams specialist or really, really freaking good, and I don't see it. I don't think Cager. Should, I think it's just a joke that he's even doing this, to be honest. I don't see him making the roster as a tight end. He was a bad wide receiver, He didn't have great yardage and stuff in college, had some injuries, came to the NFL, bad wide receiver. You want to tack on 25 pounds and then try to play an entirely new position group after not succeeding at the one you originally played? Not very likely, especially not in a room that carried two tight ends last year, has three guaranteed to make the roster this year, and then you got to work past Jaboa and Wesco. Injuries potentially, maybe practice squad for him. I don't see him getting scooped up by another team, but you'd maybe see Yaboa on that group as well. Probably probably more practice squad depth guys there, but you never know. We will watch them and see if anybody can kind of break the roster. And the last offensive group that we're going to look at is the offensive line. Now, we talked about Fant being locked in at left tackle. Talked about McKay Beckton being locked in at right tackle. That's where we are right now. Both players are... Not like 100% healthy, but they're both healthy enough to play some snaps in practice. Most snaps in practice. Makai's playing most. George Fant's playing some. We'll play more as the weeks go on. ABT's on the right next to Beckton Tomlinson on the left next to Fant. McGovern in the middle. This is the best offensive line unit that we've had in years. If everybody stays healthy, going into the season, we feel really, really good. You've heard huge praise from the defensive line saying this is like one of the best O-lines they've ever gone up against, saying things like, You know, no one that they play this season is going to be more difficult to beat than this New York Jets offensive line they're playing right now. That's all great stuff to hear. We have to see it through 17 games or close to it this year for the Jets to really find some success. And then when those guys do miss games, if that happens, we have to worry about backup tackle. That is the number one most important position um, for the backups right now, just because George Fant is not 100% right now. And Makai Becton obviously has missed most time in his NFL career, so who is going to make the roster and potentially play if one of those guys goes down. Now we've got Connor McDermott who stole our heart with the nice tight end jumbo package touchdown last year, but really has been kind of a turnstile at both sides of the line. Um, and you've got Chuma Adoga who's been injured at times in his career was drafted to the jets. I think it was the year with Sam Darnold from USC and he's getting better. I think. And, I would probably give him the edge over McDermott in terms of uh, skill set, but still, he leaves a lot to be desired and not a guy you really want to see starting substantial minutes for the Jets. Then the other guy, the rookie Max Mitchell, coming from a Sunbelt team, never really played against NFL-level competition, and it's going to be difficult for him to get ready for that um, early in the season. So I think maybe by the end of the year, as the year has gone on and he's uh, practiced and, and worked out with the Jets a little bit more and, and learned a lot, potentially he could be a fringe you know, spot starter for the Jets. But maybe a guy like Chuma Adoga or Connor McDermott earlier. I don't see them carrying five tackles, so probably the big battles between McDermott and Adoga, and we'll see what happens this uh, training camp and preseason. When you look at the inside, Nate Herbig, to me, is a lock. I think he's going to be an awesome backup guard. Super happy to have him. Dan Feeney, I think, is a lock to be the uh, backup guard and center for the Jets. So when you look at that, that gives you nine offensive linemen. That's what we carried last year. Very likely that that's kind of the group. You could be looking at a guy like Grant Hermans potentially as a dark horse offensive tackle option for the Jets. But let's see what happens between Chuma Doga and Connor McDermott. See what Max Mitchell's progression looks like as preseason goes on. And uh, hope that no injuries happen to those guys really because Fant and Becton are so much, so much better than their backups. They are crucial to the success of this team. So that is what we have for the offensive training camp battles right now. And before we go on to the next section to talk about defense, We do have to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right, folks. This is what's on tap. The section where I talk about the beer that I'm currently drinking while recording the episode. And today I have something called a guava goza made by Collective Arts Brewing. This is a a Canadian beer. It looks like it's made in Ontario and distributed through Vermont. It does say product of Canada. But I wanted to go with this nice, flashy, artsy, pink and green can of Guava Goza because it is still summer right now. Most of the podcasts that I record are during the football season, which is a lot of winter and fall months, so it's a lot more, uh, you know, whiskeys and maybe potentially some stouts and some IPAs, double IPAs, things like that. I do drink gozas to try to mix it up during the football season, but right now, it truly is the appropriate time, and I was in... uh, Total Wine, I don't know if you've ever been to the Total Wine, but it is just, like, a massive, massive package store that's got, like, not only every single beer, liquor, and wine you've ever heard of, but also, like, a giant humidor full of cigars. They've got, like, a house sommelier who gives you samples and talks about wine. They've got, like, a guy who's always doing beer tastings. They even have a classroom in the back where you can take, like, mixology classes and things at the location. It's, like, a super center for alcohol and uh I was just looking through that thing, looking for something fun, and the can caught my eye because it's a green and pink lady with a fan blowing in her face and some leaves behind her, and it's a very bright, colorful can. And so I looked at it right away, and then I saw it said Guava Goza, which is like right up my alley because I love Gozas. I don't know what Guavas are. I don't understand them, but it's always interesting to try them. And uh, 4.9% 12-ounce can from a Collective Arts Brewing that I've had other beers from before and liked them. I said, you know what? Let's go with it. Something a little fun, a little craft goes up. Had one lift in the fridge, perfect for the podcast, perfect for today. And that is what's on tap. So before we go over to the defensive training camp battles, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We are going to talk defensive training camp battles. We are going to start on the defensive line, which is an absolute... I don't want to say it's a mess, but trying to sort through who the heck is going to make the roster and who's not is a job that I don't envy. They carried nine defensive linemen last year, combination of defensive tackles and defensive ends as they run a 4-3. They have a big rotation. So nine guys are on the roster for 53 last year. Basically, all of them play through that rotation. We had a lot of injuries last year to guys like Vinny Curry and Carl Lawson very early on. and We didn't have as many young guys as we have this year. So it kind of sorted itself out last year and guys that will not make the roster this year did make it last year, but thinking that they're going to take nine guys again, let's just say they're using the same sort of model as last year, even though I could definitely see them taking 10 from this group or something. You've got an automatic Carl Lawson, John Franklin Myers, Quinnen Williams, rookies Jermaine Johnson and Michael Clemens, and then Jacob Martin. That's six guys right there that are a very, very nice rotational six. You feel good. Quinnen has been having his best training camp he's ever had. Everybody's saying he's playing at a different level this year. Keep in mind, he had a foot injury last year. It was never 100%. wasn't 100% through training camps. didn't ever get quite up to speed, completely comfortable. And he still had a good year, just not like as explosive as he'd hope it would be. It looks like he may be on pace for that this year. But the guy next to him, we don't have Foley Fadikasi anymore. So now you're talking about a potential Sheldon Rankins, who was okay last year. Solomon Thomas, who's worked with Robert Sala but is only okay again. Uh, Jonathan Marshall, a late-round draft pick from last year, who again is okay do you shift John Franklin Myers inside to play more internal? Do you have a little bit more Michael Clemens on the inside? Do you play really small and have linebackers ready to fill in the gaps? It's going to be very interesting. But when you look at those six that they have, you then look at the Solomon Thomas, Sheldon Rankins, Jonathan Marshall, and Nathan Shepard as your backup defensive tackles to potentially make the roster right now. Let's just say they pick one or two of them, Solomon Thomas, and Sheldon Rankins, and they get rid of Jonathan Marshall or practice squad and stash him there. Imagine they do that. That still puts you eight guys on the defensive line. Then you've got guys like Vinnie Curry, Nathan Shepard, Bryce Huff, Bradley Inay, Hamilcar Rashad, Tanzel Smart, Jabari Zaniga, Tim Ward. It's nuts how many guys they have right now. It's very difficult to think that they're going to take starting six and then only three from that group of Curry, Thomas, Rankin, Shepard, Huff, Inay, Marshall, Rashad, Smart, Zaniga, Ward, because there are so many legitimate guys in there. Maybe they try to strike a trade with somebody. I definitely imagine some of these guys getting cut from the Jets will be ending up on other teams' rosters, but good luck picking who's going to be part of the rotation there. It's very, very important for all of those guys, because Jabari Zuniga probably should not make the team. He's not been good, but you never know. Maybe this is the year he makes the leap and really astounds in preseason and training camp. If that's the case, you can't cut him, so then you got to cut somebody else. I mean, Bryce Huff has that speed rush ability. Jonathan Marshall is young and exciting and plays that inside line that we need. Maybe he could be the next Foley Fatakasi. Nathan Shepard somehow is stuck around with this team. I think he's absolutely got to go. I think he should have gone two years ago. But maybe he stole their hearts somehow and is back on the roster again. Maybe one of these guys, like a Tim Ward or a Tonzel Smart, who's been in the league for a while, is like, or a Vinny Curry, is just such a good freaking teammate or locker room presence or works so hard that they're just like, we can't cut this guy. He's like a heart and soul guy, big big glue guy. You never know. It's going to be a very difficult position to kind of work through. But any one of those guys that really starts to stand out and separate themselves, as we hear through any of these practices, um, you know, who knows? They may be on the inside track. We talked about linebacker a little bit um, when we talked about the Quan Alexander signing. So CJ Mosley is obviously the number one alpha male in the linebacking core. If they run a 4 3 with no nickel, they're going to be running three linebackers, which would put you at likely Quincy Williams, CJ Mosley, and Quan Alexander as your starting three. They like Quan because he's got speed. They like Quincy because he's got toughness. C.J. Mosley is the guy that gets it and can do it all. He didn't have an amazing statistical year last year. Didn't have a great PFF grade last year. But holy moly, considering the cast of characters around him and what he's really asked to do inside of this defense, he is freaking awesome. And $17 million is a lot to pay him. But my God, we would not be able to find another C.J. Mosley if he wasn't here. And if anything happens to him and you're replacing him with like a Delshawn Phillips or a Jamie and Sherwood for the remainder of the season... The step back between those two players is absurdly big. But they're going to run a lot of nickel this year. They're going to have, maybe they'll have three safeties at times. They're going to run different defensive packages that won't have three linebackers on the field. But when they do, it's probably going to be those three. Quan Alexander, Quincy Williams, CJ Mosley. Who are going to be the backups behind them, thinking that they carried five last year. Some of these guys are going to have to play special teams for sure. The big names right now, Jamie and Sherwood and Homs and Nasruddin, as they were both rookie draft picks last year. Definitely more project-type players, and we knew that when we drafted them because they both came out of college from Auburn and at FSU as safeties, and Robert Sala wanted to shift them into kind of like tweener linebacker roles because he thought they could tackle really well at safety. If they could tack on a little bit of mass and do good coverage from the linebacker position but also be quick at the point of attack in the box, they could be the fast type of linebackers that he wants to stuff the run and cover as well. Um, to really you know, implement that kill zone mentality that he's got. But obviously they both didn't play very well last year, and they both got injured last year. So you're playing a guy like Delshawn Phillips, who actually had a good special team season last year, and then Kai Nakua, who was an okay safety at the very end of last year after we had like seven safeties go down. Kai Nakua is now shifting into a linebacker role and potentially another opportunity for that safety tweener linebacker that Robert Sala is desperate to create. Between those guys... I think Jamie and Sherwood probably was the best last year. And then you're thinking, like, I don't know, Delshawn Phillips was kind of reliable, but maybe doesn't have the top-end ability. They've got a guy, Marcel Harris, that actually was picked up and has played in the NFL before that potentially could be another special teams guy, another good linebacker depth piece. That's going to be an interesting group. I wouldn't be surprised to see them cut some surprises there. You know, a Sherwood or a Hamza, even though they were draft picks last year, to see them stashed on the practice squad or to see them cut, it wouldn't shock me just because... It's a decent group there, and I think the linebacker to Robert Sala is so important. I don't see him wasting time on a guy that he thinks, like, oh, yeah, we drafted Hampson. and maybe one day he'll be good. I don't think he's willing to wait that long. I think he would take a Kainakua or Marcel Harris. If they're better today and they're young enough, which they are, then maybe a Cup 8 with uh, one of those rookies from last year. So linebacker's interesting. We really do need those Main three guys to stay healthy because the less of the others that we see, other than special teams, the better for sure. Looking at the cornerback group, the Jets carried seven last year. This is a position I think they probably could also run light this year. Um, when you look at Sauce being automatic, Bryce Hall, DJ Reed, automatic, and then last year's rookies, uh, Michael Carter, two, and Brandon Eccles, in my opinion, are both automatic. So that gives you five no matter what. Justin Hardy for special teams is interesting because he did have a lot of penalties last year, he had some bonehead mistakes, but he also was the best gunner, the best down in the football, made the most flashy plays on the defensive special teams side, and he was the special teams captain. So if Brant Boyer thinks that those five bad penalties he had last year were just you know bad luck, bad timing, he can get those down and still play at a high level, I think Justin Hardy would be there, not to be a cornerback, just to be a special teams player, but his Tag positionally is cornerback. Two other guys that I think have a chance of making the roster would be a nickel guy, Javelin Guidry, and then Isaiah Dunn, who played a little bit last year on the outside because we had a lot of injuries there as well. Part of the reason they drafted Sauce, part of the reason they paid DJ Reed and drafted so many guys last year was just because you never know. They were just kind of like, let's get as many young guys as we possibly can and just see who ends up being good. Isaiah Dunn wasn't ever good, but he was part of the team. He was better than some of the some of the very, very bad players the Jets had at cornerback last year. So potentially, he could be fighting for a roster spot if they want to carry six, seven cornerbacks again. If they want to take Javelin Gidry, who's been a serviceable, decent nickel cornerback, plays with a little bit of toughness. Kind of reminds me of like a, a Buster Screen who just retired from the NFL. Thank you for a good career, Buster Screen. Always frustrating the fans, but always scrappy and still fun to watch. And funny noodle hair. But uh, if they decide to cut Javelin Guidry and Isaiah Dunn, it would give them the opportunity to carry another defensive lineman or another running back or tight end. One of those position groups that they would have to cut and maybe would want to carry one more guy at. So we'll see what they do there. When you look at the safety position, the starters are going to be Jordan Whitehead is going to be awesome. I can't wait to watch him play. And then LaMarcus Joyner, who... Was playing out of position for the Raiders, was really, really good with the Rams a long time ago. It was, I don't know, five, six years ago. He was playing really, really well as a young guy for the Rams. Moved over to the Raiders, was there for a few years, playing out of position at nickel cornerback. Didn't do so hot. But Robert Sala's like, well, he was playing out of position. If we get him back at safety, he could be our last year, he could be our great safety opposite Marcus May. Unfortunately, he tears his biceps in the very first game of the season. It's Ashton Davis for the rest of the season and obviously Ashton Davis is not very good. But now LaMarcus Joyner's coming back off of an injury that technically shouldn't impair his ability to play the position well. It's not a leg injury. But the guy's a year older. He's over 30 now, and perhaps his best football days are behind him. Maybe he's lost a step, not playing for an entire year. We'll see. I really hope not because LaMarcus Joyner, if he's playing very well at the level that he can play safety next to Jordan Whitehead, will be the best safety combo we've had since Jamal Adams and Marcus May and will be a very, very nice treat. Then you can move a guy like Ashton Davis to the bench and maybe a guy like Will Parks, Tony Adams, Elijah Riley. We saw Will Parks and Elijah Riley play some serviceable minutes for the Jets last year. Perhaps they can be on the roster again this year. Maybe a special teams guy there. Um, You'll see Will Parks is all over social media. He's a funny guy, always has fun stuff to say. I think he's a, a team favorite, a locker room favorite. But whether or not he has the ability to crack the roster as a fourth or fifth safety when the Jets only carried three at cutdowns last year. That remains to be determined, but we'll watch them in preseason. I mean, realistically, I think Ashton Davis is its one of those things because if you're only carrying three safeties, you got two starters. One of the other guys has to play special teams at a high level. To me, what the Jets should do is really transition Ashton Davis into a special teams ace that can play safety. If they could find a way to get Ashton Davis, the former California track star, to play high-level special teams as a gunner, to down punts, to be down the field super quick on kickoff coverage, if they could get him doing that at a high level, they could potentially cut Justin Hardy, who's making you know a sizable amount of money, is getting older, had those bad penalties. They can kind of pass the torch to Ashton Davis, who can do that special teams role, but then also double as a backup, maybe fourth-string safety and you could bring a guy like Elijah Riley or a Will Parks or somebody to play ahead of him, I think it would give the Jets a lot of flexibility, save them money, and be good for the team long-term. I just don't know if he's up for it. But if I'm Ashton Davis right now, and I'm questioning whether or not I'm a guaranteed roster spot, or I'm questioning just how much I'm going to be playing at that safety position, even if I'm the third safety on the roster this year, that's not very good. If you're moving down after being a rookie, you know, and you were starting last year, and now you're going to third string, you're not too far away from being off and not getting another contract. So I'd love to see him work in that special teams unit a little bit more. We're going to see how that stuff shakes out. First at the green and white scrimmage to see where people are playing and uh, who the starters are at these positions. But then again, you know, at the beginning of preseason game two, preseason game three, we'll probably see a little bit of what the starting unit is going to look like. But uh, that's definitely something to keep our eyes on. Then when you look at kicker, we have a true battle going on here. Greg the Leg, Legatron Zerline, is kicking well for the Jets right now. Now, he had a really, really bad last year, considering what he used to be. But he did have a pretty good career before that. Right now, he's a little bit banged up. So you're like, all right, he's playing well in training camp, had a good career, not a good last year, a little banged up. That's uh, a decent option. Eddie Panero, a guy who was with the team last year, kicked pretty well. Still healthy, but not kicking quite as well. As Gregs are aligned through training camp thus far, I mean, it was they've been going head to head. It's been Zerline winning most days, and I know they're working with Panero on getting the ball up higher, which is something that I was complaining about all last year. It was just he kicks the ball too low. I think he only had like one block last year, maybe an extra point. But when you look at it, you're like these are going to be blocked probably in big spots. If he's ever trying to kick 45 plus yards, it's going to be almost a line drive. Get your hands up, and you'll probably touch it. You know that was the worry for him. It's kind of an ugly ball off his foot too. But he was efficient, and he made them, so you didn't complain a lot. That said, going into this training camp this year, I guess at the end of the day, I want the best kicker to win, but what I like about this is it's not Chris Nagar versus Sam Ficken. It's not Tyler Bertolette versus Ross Martin. These are real kickers who have kicked in the league. Eddie Panero had a short stint with Buffalo, Buffalo, not with Buffalo, with uh, Chicago, and then he played with us last year. So he's actually had a track record of kicking decently well in the NFL. Greg Deleg was like, one of the most famous kickers in the league for years when he was kicking with the Rams and stuff. I mean, he was like the first kicker off fantasy draft boards. Year after year, it felt like him and Justin Tucker were the big names at kicker. And yeah, he played with the Cowboys and definitely regressed a bit in the last couple of years, maybe fighting injuries and whatnot. But at least he's a former kicker who has been in the moment before, who has dealt with pressure, who knows what it's like to kick a game winner and whatnot. And it's not some guy like, well, we've never seen Matt Amandola kick, but he's got a real rocket. Forget about that. How about a guy with some grit, with some nerves, they can go in there and make a big kick. We've been looking for it for a long time. It's been since, I mean, Jason Myers was here, was a a pro bowler for the Jets, but was gone just like that. Nick Folk was the guy that was really here for a decent amount of time, kicking at a very high level, and uh, he's still kicking at a very high level in the league right now. Wish we had him. It's been a position that's been neglected for far too long, and the Jets haven't been winning for far too long. And when you think about the amount of kicks that we've missed, and the lack of reliability for extra points and things, and the reasons that we had to go for two in spots and missing out on points here, and then it it would have been a field goal game, but now it's a four-point game, yada, yada. So many different scenarios that played themselves out for the Jets negatively because of bad kicking. And if you could just turn that around and make 15% more, instead of kicking 70%, kick 85%, 86%, they could do that at a high level. Like other teams in the league, they will win more games. I mean, right there, I think that goes from four to five wins easily. I believe 9 of their games last year were one score games. They won 4 or 5 of those games. So, the Jets are in close games and those points mean everything. So, have a good kicker, invest in it, draft it, whatever it takes, get that position locked down. That's a big one to watch right now. They need to be healthy. Obviously, their line can't be banged up. He's got to be at practice kicking every single day because we can't afford to just like, oh, week 3 we don't have our kicker so we're bringing in again another guy off the streets that Chris Nagar who's never kicked before and it's going to be a nightmare. Ugh. don't get me started on the freaking kickers for the New York Jets. It drives me nuts. Punter's locked up. It's going to be Braden Mann. Long snapper's locked up. That's going to be Thomas Hennessy. Those are your training camp battles. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, this is like the deepest and most flashy roster the Jets have had in a long time. And one of my biggest gripes with the Jets and the way they've been building and constructing their roster for the last few years is that they don't have any stars. And it's not about having big personalities, but it's about having positions on your team that are elite. That when you go up against somebody, it's like, here's our mismatch. The Jets had good players. Corey Davis is a good player. Quinn Williams is a good player, but they're not guys that are just so imposing. They go up against a team and they're like, we don't have an answer for Corey Davis. He's just going to be burning us all day long. It's those guys like Tyreek Hill, like Devontae Adams, those Aaron Donalds and whatnot that absolutely wreck a game. And it's like, well, we don't have an answer for this guy. And the Jets haven't had anything like that. We need elite players at some position. I don't care if it's safety, if it's center, if it's linebacker, tight end, whatever. Just get me a guy that we can like build an identity through and just terrorize teams with someone. Now, the Jets brought in some decent free agents this year. I think Lakin Tomlinson is going to be absolutely the best left guard we've had playing there in a while. Probably better than ABT was last year because that guy's awesome. But like this rookie draft class... Bringing back everybody that we had last year, adding some new veterans to the team, and then getting Jermaine Johnson, Sauce Gardner, Brees Hall, and Garrett Wilson. One, two, three, four of those guys are going to be stars. I'm not sure how many, but they potentially could be, by the end of this year, the best player on the roster, the identity of the team. It could be Brees Hall. It could be a lockdown cornerback. could be this awesome new young wide receiver who's just taken the league by storm. Or a pass rusher who's finally getting 15 sacks for the Jets. Can you remember a day like that? John Abraham, Calvin Pace, man, when the Jets get to that level and they start getting those players out there, those players are going to help them win games. When they start winning games, they're going to start making the playoffs, and they start making the playoffs. The confidence is going to be there. They're going to start feeling like they deserve to be there. They're going to know what it feels like and looks like to win. They're going to be able to replicate it. They'll know what good training camps look like. We'll have continuity within our coaching staffs. All sorts of good things are going to happen, and it's supposed to be starting now. I'm not saying the Jets are going to win eight games this year. But should they be able to get to six wins with a very difficult schedule this year? I think they should. I think six, seven wins is feasible. Finding a few stars on the roster and just looking at it going into next year like, yeah, we're a legit team. We're a team that you can play as in Madden. We're a team that you can draft skill positions for in fantasy football. We are back and ready to kick some ass. That's where I think we're going to leave this season. But it all starts this training camp. It all starts this preseason the most important thing is no injuries because this roster right now is exciting. 90 man right now on paper, all those guys we talked about, we're going to be cutting good serviceable players that were pretty good for us last year. The 53 men that make it are going to be a good 53 men and people that we cut are going to be starting players for other teams at some point this year. So it's worth noting that with all those cuts that are going to be coming, the, uh, Practice squads have increased in size. They used to be like 8 guys and there were 10 guys. I think there were 14 guys at one time. This year it's 16 players. Up to 6 of those players can be veterans, meaning there's no rule on the number of accrued seasons for them. You can carry 6 guys that are like 30 years old if you want. They want to carry Vinnie Curry on the practice squad. They can do that. It's also worth noting that last year you were able to put a player on IR for only 3 weeks and you could take them off at any point during the season. Remember at one point it was like short-term IR and long-term. You could either be out until like week six or out for the whole season. Then during COVID, they switched it up. You were able to be out for only three weeks at any time. But now, this year, it's going to be four weeks. If you go to IR, you don't count as a roster spot. So the Jets can bring up another player to play on the roster. Keep in mind, every single week, they don't suit up seven players. So you can have seven injured players that aren't suiting up if they're like short-term injury guys. But if they're going to be long-term injuries, you don't want to take one of those seven idle players out You want to put them onto IR for four weeks and bring another player from your practice squad up to play games. But you're only able to reactivate a player after four weeks from IR eight times in a season. So worth noting that you can't just keep putting guys onto IR for four weeks, taking them back, putting them on, taking them back. They have to make some real decisions this year, a little bit more than they had to last year. Rules got lax with COVID. It was good. I liked it. The rules are still way more lax than they were pre-COVID. And I like that they're adopting some of these things and keeping them in there. Although I have a feeling there's going to be some COVID issues rearing their head this year. Some guy gets COVID and all of a sudden, like, a couple guys in the team have it and they're testing and then they can't play for a week or two weeks, whatever it is. Um, That could absolutely be happening this year. I'm sure they won't let players play with COVID. What their testing policies are going to be like, I'm not sure. But uh, that's neither here nor there. The most important thing right now is no injuries. Watching training camp. Good practices for Zach Wilson, who has been up and down thus far. Really, really good practice today. You look a different day, not so good. Sometimes he's really good early on, but then can't do stuff in the red zone. Other times he wasn't good early, but then he did well in the red zone. It's it's a mixed bag. But keep in mind, on every single play, on every good interception, on every touchdown, somebody's winning the play and somebody is losing the play. And you wouldn't want Zach Wilson to be throwing 400 yards and seven touchdowns every single practice, because that would be absolutely horrible for DJ Reed, Jordan Whitehead, Bryce Hall, Sauce Gardner. Can't have that. You also don't want interceptions every single play, because that would be bad for Zach Wilson, what you want is everybody to have their moments maybe leaning in the direction of good decisions and smart plays from Zach Wilson, a couple uh, you know, flashy plays from him, and then staying healthy, playing well in preseason, and then beating up on other teams. Like, let's beat the Falcons in joint practices on the 19th and 20th. Let's beat the Giants in joint practices. Let's beat those teams in preseason. Let's bring it into the regular season. Let's finally start bringing good football back to the New York Jets franchise, Thank you for joining me on this podcast. I will be back probably following the first Eagles preseason game. That's going to be happening on, I want to say, Friday the 12th, so then I would probably do it on Tuesday after that, which would be like the 15th. Um, If that is conflicting with my schedule for personal things, it'll be like Monday or Wednesday of that week, but we'll definitely do something shortly after that preseason game just to kind of go over where we're at, what training camp has looked like, what the position battles are updated as, and so forth. So thank you for joining me. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life.